1: Welcome to the Transformation Center, and more importantly, welcome to Trust and Believe. You are our first guest of the 2019 season, and I'm so excited you're here. Before we get into anything, I just want people to know that you have inspired me in ways that you don't even know. And I get a lot of times I get the question, you know, who inspires you? And so, Kristen, you have inspired me so much. Um, I would just like you to introduce yourself and just tell us who you are right now.
0: My name is Kristen Tierney. I am a Portland, Portland resident. I'm the author of Crack Not Broken. It's the story of my journey. In 2002, I blew up my life uh, from a crack cocaine addiction, lost everything, was on the streets in Portland as a prostitute for seven years, reclaimed my life nine years ago, and today I'm a woman who stands in her truth, leads with her vulnerability, and is full of gratitude.
1: Yes, I can see it in your eyes. All right, so I have... I'm going to start out with probably the craziest question. I'm all about people transforming their lives. I don't care how much weight you have to lose. I don't care what... where You know, I just don't care what the the pain point is. I care how you're actually going to change right now. So what was that rock-bottom moment for you that you were like, I need to make a change? I'm either going to, like, continue to go on this path and go down, or I'm going to push myself to become greater.
0: My rock bottom moment happened almost seven years to the day of having lost everything. And it happened on a morning that started out like every morning had, since I'd been a a crack-addicted prostitute. First thing I would do every morning, get up, re-up with my dealer, make sure I had plenty of dope to get me through the next 24 to 36 hours. Then I would look at my appointment calendar. At this point, I was escorting um, and had a pretty high-end clientele. Saw that I had one one client that day. It was going to be an evening appointment that included dinner, a few hours. One, One of my favorite clients, a new client, but an ad executive from New York City. Every time he came to town, I was his girl. We hung out together. And there was something about his and my relationship. It was new, so he had no idea... But he wasn't connecting the dots. Like, he knew something was off. Like, why is this woman doing this to support herself? But he knew nothing of my crack addiction. Mm. And I didn't want him to because there was still a pureness, and, and I could be who he thought I was and not who I really was. So I get my dope, realize I have all afternoon, and I get high, and the day takes this turn that it had never turned like before. And events of the past seven years literally played out in my head as if I was watching a home movie. And it wasn't like I wasn't hallucinating or I wasn't delusional because they were events that had actually happened. But I was seeing them for the first time with this clarity, like, oh, my God, this is this is your life. This is your life. It went on for hours. And I was brought back to the present moment with my phone ringing. He was downstairs. I had gone hours. It was time, and I was a mess. Obviously, I was high, but I was also a mess. And I'd never allowed my addiction to interfere with my business. And with him of all people, I was like, "What the hell have I done?" You know, and I—I I could have not answered the phone, but something in me picked up the phone, buzzed him up, and thought, "Okay, here we go." And he bound into my apartment, excited to see me. And it was like he hit a wall. He hit a brick wall. He was like, "What?" he was confused and that confusion morphed into this pain on his face. Like he could, he, he was really seeing me mm. and in in me watching him really see me. I could see myself for the first time with this clarity. And after about 10 minutes of this awkwardness and I just couldn't watch the pain on his face anymore, I asked him to leave. And in the moments that followed, I literally fell to the ground in just sobs and, Like I write in the book, I don't know if it was a a prayer, a plea, or a little of both, but I just cried out, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this, but I don't want to die like this either. Mm. And in the moments that followed, God's mercy and grace literally lifted me up off that floor, and I called the last friend I had in the world and said, I'm ready. Could you please come get me? I took the rest of my dope, went out my apartment to the garbage chute, so I wouldn't have any way of getting it back. Threw it away, got rid of all my drug paraphernalia, packed my bags, and my friend was there ninety minutes later, and I walked away and never looked back from escorting,
1: or drugs. I remember. I don't. I'm feeling like I'm getting emotional now, but it's because, you know, some people might look at you being addicted to crack cocaine and be like, "Oh my gosh, how could somebody be like that?" And I look at it being very similar to any transformation that anyone has been through, um, and. I remember getting to that part in the book and I'm literally rooting for you. I'm like, come on, Kristen, you can do it. I felt like I knew you. Um, and we can talk about, you know, we can definitely go on a journey of how you came out of that later. But I want to go back to the very beginning, which, which the very beginning of your book is what, you know, some people might say wrote me in. I literally felt like I was watching a movie. I was from the outside in, but every time I would, listen, or I would say, listen, I felt like I was listening to you every time I would, every time I would read certain parts, I was just putting myself in your situation, but comparing it, not comparing it, but, you know, relating it to my own life. You were a project manager at Nike. This is one of the biggest companies in the world. And so when I, when I started reading and found out you woke up in a crack house I was like, how did the product project manager developer at Nike get to the crack house? What was the point that got you from what most people saw you as this amazing executive that worked every day and was making things happen to having this hidden life?
0: Well, long before I picked up the crack pipe, I'd had a relationship with powder cocaine that started in my in high school and from the jump. From the first time I snorted cocaine, it gave me that confidence, that um, courage that I didn't have. And from high school on, it was this ongoing relationship in my life that, you know, it ebbed and it flowed, and there was social use, and then social use became, well, there was experimentation, and then social use, and then dependency. And by the time I picked up the crack pipe, I'd been, I was at the point where I was snorting cocaine daily. And the thing about co- powder cocaine is it's manageable? You're not. It's it's not crack. It's not. There's not a pipe. You know. You can snort it. You, there's some discretion involved with it. But the problem with the duration and the amounts of which I was snorting was I wasn't getting high. I wasn't getting what I needed from it anymore. And it was the day I went to my dealer and was just going to re up with a bag of powder. And she said, Hey, you know, I have this rock. Would, would you like to try it? And I was just. It was crazy. It was like a perfect storm. I was ready and. The first hit I took I never started another line again it it grabbed me with the mm. first hit and within weeks I was I was smoking at least 3 or 4 nights a week and then I was leaving in the middle of the you know work to go get high and you could the thing about the thing about crack is I thought oh it's it's just it's just cocaine it's rocked up cocaine but it's just cocaine it's not it's mm. a beast on a whole different level that if you don't have a fear of nor a respect for, it's going to take you down hard and fast. And it did. I mean, it was to the point from my first hit to that morning in the crack house it was less than six months. I'd lost everything. I mean, it ha- it took me down so fast and so violently. I never saw it coming. I didn't even know what was happening because it was just one thing after another was falling apart. And I think that that's how I probably got away with it During such a short period at Nike that nobody everyone knew something was off, but that would be the last thing they would think, oh, Kristen's smoking crack, or even that Kristen has a drug problem. Mm. And by the time they had put me on an administrative pay, leave of absence, I'd already crossed the line of no return. I'd been embezzling from them.
1: I... I thought that was very interesting how you were embezzling from them, but they didn't take legal action. Why do you think that was?
0: Well, they told my parents because I went off the grid. By the time everything blew up, nobody could reach me. Uh, I did have a conversation with my parents where they were just like, what the hell? What are you doing? Like Nike was like more my family than they were. They're like, Mm. how could you do that? Nike told my parents that I was terminated, obviously, but they were not going to press charges and they were not going to allow American Express charges. charges because that these were not the actions of the Christian tyranny they knew they were it was obviously the actions of my addiction and that was just to this day that's my biggest regret that I did that to them yeah that betrayal
1: yeah you know I I keep like trying to hold back my emotions because I just I I can just relate in certain in -hmm. certain uh, situations but we In my book, I talk about it's not the thing, it's the thing. And in my life, I talk about it's not the thing, it's the thing. And you said you have been snorting cocaine Mm -hmm. for a very long time. It's not that you wanted to do drugs. Mm -hmm. Why did you start snorting cocaine in the first place? Well,
0: that's just it. It's never about, like you said, it's it's never about the drug or whatever behavior or substance you're abusing or using to be self-destructive. It's always what's at the core, what's the underlying issues. And for me... I was suffering from some unprocessed childhood trauma that had happened when I was five years old, an abandonment experience with my father. That and I don't blame any of this on him. i am just it put something in the way that our family kind of imploded, damaged that five-year-old little girl's ego to the point where when you're supposed to be in your most formative years and finding out who you are and and you know becoming confident in yourself. I was always thinking, like, why did my dad leave? What did I do? Like, the first and most important man in my life didn't want to stick around. There must be something wrong with me. And that was left unchecked for so many years that by the time I was an adult, that little five-year-old girl was still running the show. Mm. That, you know, that that lack of self-worth, that lack of self-esteem, there was, you know, no self-love, no confidence. And that's what the crazy thing is, is that I portrayed something, like the external me was someone so vastly different from who was having the internal dialogue.
1: When at what point did you realize it wasn't your fault?
0: I was 40 years old in therapy.
1: And yeah. what was how was that how did that kind of progress into you realizing because you know a lot of times when we're going through a transformation, be it weight, you know, drug abuse? relationships we put the blame on ourselves right. and um you know when did you realize it wasn't your fault that the five-year-old kid wasn't necessarily didn't create this right. well
0: know? so I was I'd been in therapy for a couple of years at this you know about a year about a year and so a year into therapy I was able to finally own my sadness and the hurt and be like and say guess what that destroyed me. Like, before I couldn't admit it, before, because I thought, oh, you're, you're playing the victim. Like, I hate the victim word, okay, I hate that B word. Mm-hmm. But, it, but there's a difference between victim and vulnerability, and to be able to show up and be like, that destroyed me. But that wasn't even something he, meaning my dad, he wasn't even doing that at me, that was his own issues. And to understand and to be able to separate that And realize like, oh my God, I have spent the last 35 years punishing me for something that wasn't even my fault. Enough. And to own that and then to move into this place, and it didn't happen overnight, of forgiveness, of understanding that I can forgive myself for being so self-destructive. I can forgive my dad for whatever. And I'll probably never understand what motivated him to behave like that. But coming from a place of forgiveness allowed me to enter into a place of gratitude. Okay. And I could look back and be like, oh my gosh, wow. So I had to go through all that. It's kind of an unconventional route, but I'm finding some of myself. And then it became this epic journey of self-discovery, like, okay, wait, so I'm not that damaged little girl. I am that damaged little girl, but that damaged little girl, those, those messages weren't even based on accurate facts. Mm. And then it just became like, it was crazy. It literally, finding love for myself just became natural. And I just was, oh my gosh, like I just did all that. Okay, I went through all that based on misinformation.
1: Yeah. Speaking of all that, you know, first of all, I love your positivity and your motivation and the fact fact that you've worked on yourself because that is the thing that A lot of people are missing in their lives right now. I know people that are close to me, very close to me, that the reason they don't want to go through therapy is because they don't want to open those doors and revisit the pain. And I always tell them, if you don't revisit the pain, not only is the pain going to get say stuck inside of you, but it's going to seep out into other people's lives. And so I just want to commend you on obviously being so vulnerable. And I just think that's one of the greatest gifts that we have is to be vulnerable and to be truthful because not only does it help you but it helps everyone around you and people like truth. Definitely. And speaking of truth and <laughs> vulnerability.
0: Yes.
1: You know, I just I'm going to talk for a little bit here. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> As I was reading your story and I was reading how you were addicted to crack cocaine and There were times where you would, it seemed like there was a light and you had gotten this amazing job at the restaurant and you were with, to me, I meet you and I'm looking at you now and I see how your personality and who you really are, you could walk and you could be the hostess of a restaurant and the manager of a restaurant and people just like completely fall in love with you. And then behind the scenes, You are hiding this. Talk about how you were able to do that while going home and being dependent on this substance.
0: When you wanna protect something that you think is protecting you, you'll go to great lengths. You will be the best liar, the most resourceful person in the most self-destructive way. And all through, all through the seven years I was addicted to crack, I was high functioning. I don't know, I mean, even like my dope would would be like, girl, like
1: <laughs> you can smoke. Like who it, are man, you? Right? Cause I was like, I mean, I'm sitting there like I would kick it with her, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just knew, I was like, oh, sh- well, she's live. Like you were able to roll into crack houses and I grew up in the hood and I lived around the corner from crack houses and especially in other family members when I would go visit people and I'm picturing you in there. I'm like, yo, how does she roll up in a spot like, Yo, what's up? You know, how yeah. did you, where, where did that come from?
0: You know, so we, we were talking about superpowers and you know, my superpower that's gotten me through my entire life is go, you go all in. And then there was this like little mantra in my head. That, okay. So, okay, here we are. What are we like? What are we going to make of it? What, what are we going to take from this? Mm. What are we going to gain? What's going to be the win? Because even in the most negative of situations, there's a win. Getting it, back then, it was staying alive, mm. you know. And so it was. It, I had this chameleon-like ability to. I mean, I was one of them, even though I wasn't. Even though they hated me for not being one of them, yeah. they accepted me in. The same with escorting. You know, I had this clientele that had no idea.
1: I have to tell you. I don't don't want to cut you off, but I don't want to forget this. So you had gotten a, I want to say it was an apartment on the top floor. Was it the top floor? Penthouse apartment. And I go to spas a lot. And so when you were talking about how you were a high-end escort with these high-end clients and you had made, I think it was a second bedroom into a spa, I'm like, and then when these... When these high-end clients are leaving, then you have a dope dealer, like a young dope dealer that's coming, making drugs in your apartment. That was wild to me. But there was a point that I related to what was going through so much. I've never talked about this to anybody but my husband, so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be very, you know. So before apps and websites came out in terms of, you know, gay websites and where you could... You know, being in a closet growing up, it was like, "How am I going to hook up with guys and so Craigslist, Craigslist was my spot. I would go on Craigslist, I would find a guy to hook up with, I would be on a low this is this is not too far, not too far in the past, you know and and I would come across these ads as I was trying to find men to hook up with. I would come across these ads that were similar to the ones that you were putting out to find uh, different clients and it really hit home to me because I remember reading some of these ads and I would go through them and I was like wow I can really relate to that and seeing how even though I wasn't looking for an escort I could see how I would click I would be like Yo, like I'm going click. Like I want to meet this guy. I didn't have the money to, so I didn't do it. But <laughs> just went and found the easy one. Like yo, you want to kick it? Like let's go. But I just found it interesting how you actually used a superpower that you were using probably when you were working at Nike mm-hmm. to make this happen. Make account for
0: something. It's like you go all in. You make account for something. Like I decided even when I was before I was escorting. I was a prostitute on 82nd Avenue. 82nd Avenue
1: in Portland is the track. Yo, when you speaking of track, so I ran track and I used to do laps for for practice. So when you were saying that you were doing like three laps a day, like you would do a lap, you would get what you need to get, and then you would go yeah. smoke again. Talk about that experience. But more importantly, talk about what kind of fear you had mm-hmm. and how you overcame that fear. And the reason why is because In transformation, there are people right now where like I I always like to make the the correlation between, you know, nutrition, health, fitness, mental health to something and somebody like you and what you've gone through, because I think we judge and we're like, well, that person doesn't understand what I went through. But I think a lot of the how to overcome fear kind of crosses over into different areas of Absolutely. transformation. So how did you overcome the fear of walking down the street? I mean, you're not that big, you know, I'm like, where did, the, how did you get through that?
0: Well, funny thing. So when well, the first time someone said, oh, you're just going to, if you're going to do, if you're going to sell your body, you're going to go do a lap on the track. And I, like you come from a track and field family. I'm like, yeah a lap on the track, what track? Like the only track I know is like the track. 400 the meters. Yeah. They're like, no, you got to find your track, establish your track and you do your laps. And so I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. If this is what I'm going to do to survive and smoke crack, I'm going to sell my body. It's going to be on my terms. My body might be for sale, but my soul isn't. Mm. And I went out there, I went all in, you know, I went all in, I went all in. I was like, okay, so we're going to do this. Don't you dare get me in your car and offer offer me some lowball fifty dollars, because I I was like like thought I was some kind of gangster. I'm like I'll kick in you were to me. (laughs) I'll kick in your dash for fifty dollars, but you're not, and then I'll get the police involved. You know, because I don't look like a prostitute. You're gonna have to explain something Mm. to your wife. You know, it was like this. It was kind of this like go all out mentality. Like all of a sudden, I didn't have any of the trappings of that privileged life that had been full of opportunity to hide behind. So it's crazy, but I found, like, I started finding my true abilities, like how, how capable I really was. Because before it was always like, well, you're capable that you have a wealthy husband. You're capable that you just lucked into this career at Nike, you know. And so when you're, when you're stripped of everything and you're out there and you're, and it was, I was in a fight of, the fight of my life for my life. You show up and that's what you have to do no matter what your challenge is. You have to really show up and you have to commit like, okay, I'm going to make this count for something even if it means a stupefying crack addiction that's probably going to kill me. I always decide, I always, from the from the jump, I was like, you know what? Death probably is very likely the outcome of this, but I'm not laying down waiting for death. Death is going to have to come and, and take me down. And so I went out there, and I just went out there with this, like, take-no-prisoner attitude. Like, okay, if I'm going to sell sex, you're going to pay for it. And you're not going to lowball me. You're not going to disrespect me. And... Honestly, like I just like how on the street did I, I attract the clients I did cuz they were pretty decent guys. I, mean, I remember the first guy that like picked me up was in like a 550 BMW gave me, you know, 2 or 300 dollars my first date. And I was like, "Oh, okay, so it's doable." And that just kind of set the tone. And it, and I, you know, it was it was empowering, but it was also the other women out there it gave them more reasons just not to like because mm-hmm, mm. they thought I thought I was better than them and it wasn't that. I just had I just knew from the from the first day out there that if i didn't have some absolute convictions that I would not cross that i would that were non they were non negotiable, I saw the girls out there that were lost that were probably probably never found their way back.
1: I find it to be so empowering how you know in algebra what you do on one side you do on the other, you were literally doing amazing things and creating amazing superpowers in the depths of your struggle whereas on the other side you would do the same thing to be super successful and uh so how do you use some of those same superpowers now in your life
0: well i think that you know my go-to is always you know you just go all in there's no there's no there's no plan b
1: yeah there just isn't like plan A is the plan go. A is
0: going to happen. I don't know yeah. how I, I mean, it might need some revisions, but it's going to happen because I'm making everything count. And and the beautiful thing now is, you know, that superpower used to have a kryptonite, and that was that vicious voice in my head. It didn't necessarily render it unusable, but it tainted it to the point that it could steal victory victory from the best and the biggest victories. Mm. It, you know, it just, that fear, that voice in my head was vicious. And so now it's crazy that I still, that's my go-to superpower, and it's so much more pure now. And although, you know, that voice in your head never shuts up. It's, okay, always, it's always gone. It doesn't even really care which side of the argument it's on, but as long as you're listening to it. But I have, I've, I have this muscle memory now because I've been doing it for so long that I'm like, okay, I get it. That's how we used to do it. But I'm going to listen to the soft spoken voice of my spirit, and that spirit always tells me, trust and believe. Trust and believe. I <laughs> so you know, and that's that oh, is that is, that so that is how I start my morning. Every, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, today, but trust and believe. Look, we we're doing okay so far. You we're know, and, and so it just feels like that superpower is just so much more pure now, and. You know, I have my moments where I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done like this? Like, what was I thinking writing this book? What was I thinking putting it all out there? And I have to always honor that that five little, five-year-old little girl is always going to be a part of me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She might need a little reparenting now and again. <laughs> okay. But she's always in there. And bless her heart, she kept me alive for 40 years. And we did it her way, and now we're doing it a new way. and so it, it's, it, But it's not force-feeding her. It's like, okay, like, you know, you have
1: twins. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like here you go. You know, it's, it's what you're doing or what it sounds like you're doing. I always talk about, you know, every foundation needs a little bit more cement every so often because a foundation is constantly cracking because right. you're adding so much more power and weight to the foundation. Right. And so I find it to be admirable, number one, mm-hmm. that you are constantly going back to the five-year-old girl. Because as you go through transformation, you constantly find out why this happened. And the deeper you go and the deeper you dig, the more you realize like, oh, that's why I do that. And that's why I do that. And you can have constant change. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I have some more questions for you. (laughs) And I want to talk more about the depths of your.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: All right. Thank you for joining me on this season of Trust and Believe Transformation Stories. This season, we're doing something a little different in efforts to keep you inspired, motivated, and to hold you accountable. It's one thing to listen to the podcast, but it's another thing to take action on your daily transformation. So look at this season as a course in your personal transformation. Every other week, the episode will challenge you to take action steps to further enhance your personal life journey so that you can have constant progress. All you need to do to take action is to go to SeanTFitness.com slash safe There you can download your worksheet of the week. By completing these assignments, you will continue to stay present by enhancing yourself and your life. To join the Safe Space community, just fill out the information provided on the site and you will have access to monthly confidence building seminars, access to my live motivational talks and each month will feature a guest speaker to help you sustain positivity in different parts of your life. Again, go to SeanTFitness.com slash Space, a community of positive people that are here to help you grow. For trust and believe listeners, use the coupon code TRUST at checkout and get one month free. That's shantifitness.com/safe space and use the coupon code T R U S T. Welcome to the safe space. All right, now I have a couple questions here, and then I have something fun at the end. But I want you to just continue to lay it all out. I love your vulnerability. Um, just FYI for everyone who is watching. Uh, we are, well, I am interviewing Kristen Tierney, the author Cracked crack Not Broken. And not till I got to the end of the book did I put crack Cocaine <laughs> to, like, to the, to the title. Because as I was reading the book, I was just like, yo, she is going through this, but she's not going to crack. She's not going to crack. But there were a couple points in your book where I was like, is this person still alive? And I knew you were alive, obviously, But I was asking, and it was one or two times. The first time was when you had rented a room Mm -hmm. and you would charge people to come there to smoke in your room, which I thought was brilliant, by the way. Some people (laughs) might be like, why is that brilliant? But you were like, I need money. I'm not going to use the money to basically just go out on the streets and sell myself. If you want to use anything that I own or I'm a, par- or I'm a part of, you got to pay. So I thought that was great. I was a hustler. you a hustler. <laughs> I'm a hustler, babe. But, and you're a hustler now, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> okay. But I think that I was like really nervous first time when you let someone come in your apartment. I think you were asleep. They drugged you. Oh, they shot and you up in the neck. They shot you up in the neck. You found yourself in hospital. And then the other time, I just want to talk about, I don't want to go too far into it because I, I want people to read the book. The other time was when a couple of your, I'll say colleagues, other escorts who were on the streets had gotten murdered. murdered. And so I'm like, why is she still doing this? Like, what was the power that... What was so powerful over you that you were like, yes, people are getting murdered. Yes, I got drugged. I'm in the hospital. I almost died, but I'm still going to do this.
0: It wasn't so much what was motivating me. It was what was holding me back because I couldn't for the life of me figure out, I mean, I'd blown my life into a million pieces Mm. and I couldn't figure out which piece to pick up first. And then let's just say I was able to embrace that piece there are still thousands of pieces. I mean, it just—it was overwhelming for me to think, like, I didn't belong in that life. But I didn't see how I could go back to my old life either. You know, I was, by then I was a convicted felon. I'd been prostituting. I was, you know, a big-time addict. I had blown up that world. And so it wasn't so much that I wanted to stay in my new world. I, I, didn't, I didn't see an out. I just I. I didn't see an out. And watching my, well, I didn't watch them, but, but it, ha- having gone through the experience of losing those two acquaintances on the street, that was what got me into, you know, off. So my, my track moved from 82nd Avenue to the computer screen, and I became, mm. you know, I, I entered the world of high-end escorting. And then, it, again, it was that super. superpower, like, okay, so here you are. Like, you drove yourself into this ditch. Here you are. Make it count for something. Wow. And it was, honestly, like, I felt trapped. And I was like, okay, so if you're trapped, you're trapped. You don't have the courage yet to do something about it. So you better, you better handle your business. Mm. It was crazy.
1: I know. (laughs) No, speaking of going to the computer screen, I think that's, it happened, I think, prior to the computer screen, but not just because your clients were men. It just seemed like, you know, your book, you talk about relying on clients and men to help you out. Right you would go live in a house for one or two days and then some of them would take advantage of you. Uh Why do you feel like you kept going back to men to try and help you out of situations?
0: Well, again, it was muscle memory because even in my life, my previous life, when i have been at Nike, you know, I'd always relied on men, thinking I couldn't achieve whatever I needed to achieve on my own. And I needed, I only felt, I truly only felt valuable when I had the attention of a man because that was what had destroyed that five year old little girl's ego is thinking that, Oh my God, my dad doesn't love me or I'm not good enough. Why would he leave? Mm -hmm. So there, you know, so what i learned later in therapy is that throughout my life I recreated that abandonment experience of that little girl choosing the wrong men to trust the wrong men to love The, you know? And so, but then, then you get into the world of escorting and addiction, it's a lonely world, hmm. and I would, in my moments of weakness, take help—help, help, <laughs> using the term loosely—help wherever I thought I could get it, or or to think that someone, oh, maybe someone did care. Someone, you because know, I was just on my own. I was out there in the world, in in a living hell, and so to think that maybe for a 24 hours I could just take my foot off the gas and just like breathe. And it's funny. Every time I did that, I was like, I would be like, "What are you?" you know, Twenty-four hours later, like that cost you more than it, than the yeah. rest you got out of it. You yeah. know, like why do you
1: keep doing this? <laughs> well, you may have a different moment of when you didn't rely on men anymore. For me, I want to say congratulations because there was a point in a book uh, where you were withdrawing, mm-hmm. and the person you were with, you were like, "Stay over there." Mm-hmm. You're basically like, "Stay over there." I need to go this to myself, and I was like, "Yes." Well, that's I my was... friend Michael,
0: who yeah. you know is one of the best friends in the world. He was the only friend I had left. He was a new friend, and he just never had anything but my best interest at heart. Mm. And I told him, I said, "Thank you. You know, I appreciate it." it was always platonic. I mean, he's my brother. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But so it was never like any romantic thing, but. It was something that he's a, he's a caregiver and you know he's a nurturer and I just I told him I'm like I appreciate a roof over my head and you helping me out but I've got to do this work. I knew at that point that like if this is gonna ever change whether you know I just it has to be me
1: changing. Right, so I'm gonna put you on the spot here okay. because I think this is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's you know there's a lot going on in the in the country in the world right mm-hmm. now. I, I'm never really political, but that Me Too movement's going on. And and I'm not, I don't really want to necessarily put a lot of attention there. But sure. I think you are so strong and so powerful. Before we continue, I would love for you to just look into that camera over there and tell women how powerful they are just being who they are. You don't even have to mention, like, you don't need to rely on a man. It's just, like, talk to women right now. A, a large percentage of my fit fam, mm-hmm. my girls, okay. my okay. fit family... Okay. Are women and you know I'm just gonna be very bold and honest right now I, I motivate them and I love them but I'm not a woman sure. and so a lot of times I try to I mean I know my mother I was really close to my mother my grandmother and women have empowered my life Serena Williams is my ultimate motivator but I'm not a woman and so i like to take opportunities right now okay. to have a powerful woman speak to women and men out there, sure. but just to give them motivation and power.
0: So I think the way that we empower ourselves is by removing our social mask. Show up as a true you. That's the person that's going to be loved. That's the person that, although might be terrified to show our uniqueness, it's what, our uniqueness is what makes us beautiful and what makes us the people we are.
1: It's so great. Thank you for doing that. It's more than great. It's you. (laughs) Um, moving on. So, what were the biggest lessons you learned while out in those streets? Because you were in the streets. You were. I.
0: I was running with the boys. You were running with the the boys,
1: (laughs) and you were running with the boys. Like you went to jail. You came out. You thought they were gonna off you like they thought you were going to tell Mm -hmm. i mean you were she was literally in the streets y'all that's why y'all need to literally pick this up today you will not put it down but what was the biggest lesson you learned out there in the streets
0: well honestly it was a master class in humanity Mm. and first and foremost i realized how very little i truly knew about life how much inequality exists in society and what they taught me was to meet people where they are to show up without judgment without thinking it should be this it should be that to show up in this authentic way that allows you to connect with someone because when we do that for each other that's how something's going to change it's not going to be like oh you did this and you put this external label on somebody like oh well they're that or they're that so they don't deserve this we're all a lot more alike than we are different. Mm. And when we truly see each other and meet each other where we find each other, you know?
1: Great it, things happen I mean, together.
0: To under and the other thing I guess I'd like to say is that we don't know the backstory. So let's not make ourselves look ignorant mm. and have all these judgments that we don't
1: even know are based on fact. fact. That's that's a really interesting thing because in a world of social media, we hear one thing, we read one thing, and we immediately judge because it's a snapshot in time. And me personally, I try to be as transparent as I can, but there's still a lot behind the scenes that people don't know. How do you... Because I believe being out there in the streets, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, that person's a crack addict or that person doesn't have a job right, or they're yeah, in government um, system. Yeah. Yeah. How, do you, how do we help people understand that judging so quickly is not the right way to go?
0: Wow. Um, I think when people come from a position of compassion and not criticism and kindness and not that judgment I mean you really have to take a step back and I get it but like until you I mean like not everyone's going to have the experience fortunately that I went through but it seems so ignorant not to expose yourself and, and learn about something other than your little life because your life's happening in a bubble maybe different sizes of that bubble but it's a bubble and Mm -hmm. it's there's just so many aspects of society that are being overlooked and marginalized and and then judged on misinformed presumptions yeah like i don't know if there's like a really good answer
1: but i think you i think you said it it's just like we all live in a bubble we are i talk about we're the average of the five closest people to us and a lot of people say that you are like you hang out with people you start dressing alike you start talking alike. you start doing the same thing and then you switch your group for a day or you go meet somebody else for a day and you're like oh like this is what life is like and that's why I, I love to have friends in different walks of life in different areas of life and where I've come from and not staying in the place that I right. came from but okay. also revisiting um but that was great. I mean, I just think the bubbles can be so small or you can make it bigger.
0: And, you know, it, it kind of worked against me too. Like the, I was in this new world that I obviously didn't look like I fit into. And I was judged on misinformed presumptions. And I finally realized, and I think I said it out loud to a group, and I'm like, you know, yes, I'm different. Only in the fact that I've been extended more opportunity and kindness that I effed off. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm suffering just like you're suffering, and I don't know how that. I don't know if they w- w- really wanted to see that, but I at least saw that, and it was just, it was a, a moment, a real moment. Yeah. Like we're all hurting, and we're all in this self-destructive existence right now, and we're none of us were feeling our worth. And just to have that, and know that, oh my gosh, wow, like, I'm like you and you're like me. Our backstories are different, but we're both at the same spot. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's powerful in a sense of, just in terms of transformation, it's the journey is pretty much parallel, yeah. is what you take from the journey to get yourself out of the journey.
0: And we we're all, yeah, you can focus on how we're alike or how we're different.
1: I like to focus on how we're like. I always, Absolutely. even when I have an argument with my husband or whatever, younger me was more Jersey, <laughs> you know, I like to say. Right. But now, before I even respond to him, I actually go to the mirror and I'm like, who do you think you are? Right. You have to go to the other side. Like, I go to the other side of the mirror. I make pretend the person in the mirror is coming from a different Perspective, and that's why I've literally increased my patience level with people, and I go above and beyond before I just quote unquote off them. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> but there's a threshold. Obviously, right, you have hard. to stick that's up right. for yourself. Right, your but um, I think meeting is very important. How did you uh, power your way through transformation to find sustainability?
0: I did the work. I did my work. I mm. did the hard work. I did the hard often terrifying painful work.
1: And where now? Because it's it's one thing to say, you know, when I when I finished reading the book, I was happy for you. Mm-hmm. I saw that you actually if I if I remember correctly, you actually work in a place that's in the area that you oh, yes. frequented. Um, how do you find that sustainability to say, I'm not going to go back out in the street. This substance doesn't have power over me. Men don't have power over me.
0: Because I did, like I said, I did that work and I, I, I identified, deconstructed and reconciled all that unprocessed childhood trauma. Mm. So, so there's, it's not, there's not an urge to respond to any kind of trauma, because life's still challenging. I mean, just because I got clean doesn't mean like, oh, I have this perfect life. Like, you know, my mom passed away suddenly 18 months ago. We weren't speaking. Mm-hmm. Now that, if there was ever something that's going to turn your world upside down, it's to lose a parent when you're estranged from them. And I just, my grief, once I could like breathe a few months out, I was like, okay, so what am I going to do with this? And It was in the knowing that I've done the work and that I live my life in a completely different way. I don't act, I don't react to things in a self-destructive way. I find the gift, even in how I lost my mom. And that was, you know what, I went deeper into my faith. I went deeper into understanding who I am. Because, you know, often we look at life as this linear path because, you know, like you're born, you go to grade school, you graduate, you go to high school, you go to college, or you get your dream job well the spiritual journey is circular you very you're always doing another lap you're always circling back to a lesson with a more profound understanding of it and a more profound wind coming out of it so that i mean like picking up a crack fight like are you crazy like that doesn't even like that would even be on my top 500 right. ways to to cope yeah, you know, because, because again, it's not about the it's not about the substance. It's about what was prompting me, what was forcing me to need to disconnect, to need to need to self medicate, the need to be self destructive. There's mm-hmm. a gift in everything. Losing my mom the way I did. I mean, there's been such beautiful spiritual gifts to come out of it that it almost feels like, wow, that happened the way it did because it was supposed to. I mean, as weird as that sounds.
1: Because she and I are
0: good. She, on a spiritual level, she and I are fine. I mean, you right, know, at first right. I was like, really? This is the one I don't get, I don't get a do-over on? I've had all these do-overs yeah. and I lose my mom and it felt so final. But the thing is, from a spiritual perspective, she and I, are, we reconciled. And, and, and the, her passing has given me a whole new cachet of gifts. I mean, it's...
1: You were able to find the gift. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Constantly being able to find a gift, yeah, I think I mean, it,
0: There's a gift in the you, you know. There, a, there's a gift to be found. It might take a minute, and you might have to put you know your big boy or big girl pants on and really like <laughs> you know, okay, put your seatbelt on. We're gonna have to you know dig in deep, and it's gonna hurt, and it's gonna suck, and it's gonna take a minute. Okay, you can do that, or you can just be miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which? Yeah. Choose. So take a minute. <laughs> yeah. take, take a, a minute. minute. Take a take minute.
1: minute. <laughs> I'm gonna switch gears okay. here. Uh, before we give my lovely Fit fan the final motivation, I have something fun. Okay. So we're gonna okay. change the gear. <laughs> Mr. Chip Hoffa, can you give me the speed round questions? Okay, so this is really fun. Okay. It's a fun thing I do. Okay. And these speed round questions comes from my husband Scott. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, you ha- you only have ten okay. seconds to oh answer. My gosh. So, yep, okay. you cannot think about it. It's, they're super fun. Okay. So, the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Are you ready? I guess so. Are you sure? Do I have a choice? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's 12 <laughs> questions, so they have oh to be passed. Goodness. I know. I All know. Right. It's so fun. Okay. All right. Question number one. What's your sign, and do you believe in astrology?
0: Yes. Pisces.
1: Eight. Oh, I have a Pisces moon. I'm a Pisces moon. Yes, we can talk about that over okay. lunch. Okay. <laughs> Two. Besides your own, what's the best book you've ever read?
0: Well, I'm going to say Sean T's transformation, oh. but also The Shack. Two books. I'm going to have two books. Oh, the, the Shack? No. Oh, uh, Okay, I'll get that. Okay. Yeah, okay. But yeah, right. I love I'll read the book. that next. I mean, you'll see it when I pull it out of my bag. I know this is long winded. I have post it's everywhere. I have highlights everywhere. I'm like, oh, oh my, did he write that or did I?
1: <laughs> Thank you. I know. That's why I think, you know. <laughs> okay. 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 Question number three Best new app you discovered you need to share with everyone?
0: Oh, my God. That You know that's not the question to ask me. Uh, well, I just
1: heard about an app from Chip Rover. <laughs> Wait, I got to say this because we're a vulnerability full disclosure crew. Her Instagram needs exactly. work. So go follow her because I promise you she's going to work on it. Let's give her some motivation. That's the answer. Okay. Question number four. Morning person or night owl? Oh,
0: morning.
1: Yes, me too. I, know, I love it. I, am. I love it. Okay, question number five: First com- concert you've ever attended?
0: Oh, my God. It was in the 80s. It was Def Leppard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm an noise.
1: I'm just. You know, I mean, I, you know, I've Girl never been. Again. Yo, you got to do what you got to do.
0: But next one was Madonna. So oh, I balanced it. That was That's a good balance. Right? That's
1: a crazy balance. Yeah, but I, I love it. All right. Next question. Question number six. What do you want to be when you grow up?
0: Well, I want to continue my peaceful existence and I want to be a mom.
1: Oh my God. I mean, I'm already
0: a mom to boo, you know
1: that. Yeah, but. I would would like to adopt a baby. Oh. Yeah. Good luck. I hope it happens. I hope you're going to be amazing. You're going to be an amazing mom. Okay. Favorite guilty pleasure TV show?
0: Oh my God! Anything on Bravo? I'm horrible. Are you serious? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, isn't that the Real Housewives?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, per- it's so perfect. It's like I call it mindless TV, and I honestly cannot remember if I've seen the episode the next day. Like it's just what I do to completely disconnect. It just
1: passes over. Yeah. I can respect that. Mr. Chip back there is a Real Housewives. <laughs> All right. So question number seven. Oh, question number eight. Uh, paper or plastic? Paper. Okay. Question number nine. Tell me one secret thing you can't live without. Well,
0: it's not a secret, but my dog Boo. (laughs) Everybody knows. That's sweet. (laughs) Not a secret.
1: She's just putting it out there. (laughs) Three more questions. Question 10. Best or worst subjects in school? Best and worst subjects in school.
0: Worst was anything math or science. I just don't have that ability. Uh, Best was always like PE.
1: (laughs) That track and field, athletic, I like it. Okay, question number 11. This is a yes or no question. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No. Thank you. Like, Scott loves pineapple. I'm like, goodbye. I cannot do it with you. If you like pineapple and pizza, don't offer me any. Okay. Last question. This is the toughest right, question, okay. but you All still right. have to answer quickly. Okay. The capital of Oregon. <laughs> I told you. I told you. It was going to be tough. All right. To end this episode of Trust and Believe, and again, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And I want everyone to literally go out and read Cracked, Not Broken. I'm telling you right now, it is a self-development book without pushing self-development in your face, kind of like I do. (laughs) Uh, It's a way to literally go through a mindless journey with someone and root and cheer them on along the way. And while Kristen is here today, not only are you going to see how she got herself through her transformation, but if you continue to listen and follow her on Instagram, because we're going to do we're best. Gonna work on that. we're going to we'll work on that. Uh, you're just going to end up so great and find a lot of superpowers in this book, Kristen. Will you please take us out and Absolutely. give our Fit fans some major motivation and how to trust okay. and believe?
0: So this is actually something that um, is in the last paragraph, last page, the last paragraphs of my book. Amor fati is a Latin phrase loosely translated as love of one's fate. It is the belief that everything that happens in one's life, including suffering and loss, should be seen as good and part of our destiny's our way of reaching its higher purpose. It says yes to life in all its pain and joy. It allows for no resentment of the circumstances of our lives because had they been different, we would not have become who we are and it is anything but passive. Amor fati calls us to be active participants in the events of our lives, and therein lies our most compelling choice. We can be indifferent or fully engaged. We can continue to live a lie or acknowledge what is true. We can give up and quit or smile through our tears and try again. We can be victims or we can be spiritual warriors. Every journey deserves a hero. Why not be the hero of our own?
1: Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. You're so awesome.
0: Yeah.